Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Ryan McCaffrey at IGN. Welcome to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, my monthly interview series where I have the pleasure of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry. Uh, Today I'm here on site in Richardson, Texas at id Software. We're taking a look all month long as part of IGN First at Doom Eternal, which is out on March 20th on uh, PC, Stadia, PS4, Xbox One, and then Switch version later, if I have all that correct. And with me... The director of the project, Hugo Martin. Hello. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for inviting us in. And Marty Stratton, executive producer. Yes. Great to see you guys. Uh, it's been fun. We've been, we've been playing a lot of Doom while we're here. Uh, awesome which to is, have you. Which has been a good couple days for me. And I kind of want to start, I always like to start kind of with everybody's background to see what the road to, to your point in this career is like. Uh, Hugo, you worked at Blur Studio. I did. And I'm always curious. I wanted to start there because Blur, If I think a lot of gamers are familiar, but even for those that aren't, if you've seen an incredible CG cutscene in a game, there's a <laughs> very better than average chance that Blur made it. They've done uh, Halo 5. They've done, I mean, there's done uh, a lot of great stuff. So what, what sort of, what's it like there? How, how is it having worked there? What's that magic like in that place? It's incredible. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, and um, I had the chance to work under Tim Miller for, for quite some time, and the amazing uh, people that came out of there, Dave Wilson, he's now directing Bloodshot, uh, Jeff Fowler's doing Sonic uh, the Hedgehog. So a lot of, a lot of amazing people uh, in my graduating class uh, at Blur. Um, and then, of course, getting the chance to work with Tim, who was, who was just really awesome. You know, he, he did uh, Deadpool and Terminator. Um, it it was really fast. We we often kind of feel like it's almost like being a part of the Navy SEALs. You know, it, it's a very intense uh, work environment. People are really given their all. The standard is extremely high. Uh, we're often pushing beyond the boundaries of what the schedule uh, said we could actually do, and uh, and it's fun. You want you want to do that. I'm I'm extremely grateful for my time uh, that I got a chance to spend there. We also did a fair bit of. Uh, Aside from CG commercials, we would do ride films and and uh, you know ads for things and all kinds of stuff. So the the work was so varied, and what I really feel like was uh, helped me grow tremendously as an artist was from month to month it was always different. Yeah. So I might do something for Disney for two months where I'm designing uh, characters for like a, a Disney related IP or something really cartoony, and then switch over to something that was hardcore sci-fi realism. And that would ha- I'd have to be able to transition into that. Yeah. And from that, I think you start to formulate a lot of um, principles and tools as an artist that you could rely on. And you really have to understand the fundamentals of design uh, in order to make those shifts. So what's, what's it been like then? Now, now you're in game development and working on games for th- one game for three, four years at a time. So that's a different mental challenge, I imagine. Yeah, really easy, to be honest. I mean, it's... It's, uh, you're able to pour yourself more into the work that you do, build uh, closer relationships with the people that you work with. So, uh, you know, I, I think you could see something through to, to completion 
and, and flesh out ideas uh, more thoroughly when you get to spend a little bit more time on them. You worked uh, on the film Pacific Rim. You did uh, design the Jaegers. Yeah. That's cool. Thank I mean, you. What's, what was it? <laughs> that was a great job. film. Yeah. What, what was uh, so? What was it like working with Guillermo del Toro and and, and working on and when and then when the movie comes out, seeing it be like a, a huge critical commercial success? It was great. Um, and and just like with games, there was a team at Guillermo's, so I certainly didn't do it all by myself. Um, and he had a great group of people that we were working with, and the amazing artists that. At ILM, you know, in the work yeah. that they did uh, with the Jaegers and, and all of the things that you saw in the film, so uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, it, it was it was really fantastic to be able to participate in that stuff. Uh, he's it, it was um, with people like him and Tim and some of the people I got to work with at Naughty Dog uh, or when I was at Art Center and learning about. Uh, the fundamentals of design and, and automotive design from the guy who designed the Enzo Ferrari. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> I feel really, really fortunate to have uh, studied under and watched uh, very closely some extremely capable uh, creative talents. Uh, Guillermo keeps his concept team very close to him, and it was I spent the better part of the year just observing, you know, a master of his craft uh, go to work. The biggest takeaway was uh, you don't have to be um, a dick to be a great director or or be able you know make big decisions and be in his position like he is every bit as nice as he appears to be uh, on camera as as they all are you know um, these are great people doing great things and and that was that was really cool to see uh, the biggest takeaway honestly with all those guys is um, uh, they're very self assured which makes collaborating with them a piece of cake because they have no ego. Yeah. Now, Marty, you, you, your path is a little is interesting, too, in that you kind of went from, you know, Hugo went from art to design. You, you kind of found your way to design and creative from, from the biz side. You were at Activision for many years, uh, and, yeah. start, and your foot in the door to get to id was, was producing... The, the mission packs back for yeah. Quake One is that do I have that right? Yeah, way back. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I got to I got the opportunity to work at Activision. Um, started there in like '95 uh, when it was it was it's it's funny to think back at a time where Activision was about half the size of of what it is now. Yeah. You know, I mean, the pre Call of Duty days. Oh yeah, I mean it was pre everything. I, I started uh, I started in QA and my very first day I got to work on MechWarrior two, which was like a dream. That was like, a great that's, game. Oh my it was god. Classic. It was, it was yeah. amazing. That lasted one day and then I got I got put on another odd project which was which was an, a whole other story. But uh but yeah I started in QA. Um it's a lot of people, a lot of really good people got started who particularly wanted to go the production route, which was which was kind of more my my jam. I am, as Hugo can attest, I'm about the worst artist. When I go to the whiteboard, people, people cringe. Um, he, he could be good. He just. <laughs> I can draw. I've been told I can draw a straight line pretty well. Yes. So that's that's a, a good first step. Um, but uh, uh, really, actually, I, I really value my. I, I spent about a little over a year in QA and really value by that time. I mean, it 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 gives you a whole sense of of what it's like to make a game, and then. Uh, Got to work in production um, at a time where uh, they were basically building kind of their external development um, relationships and publishing. It's kind of when that was first really getting getting started, um, uh, and uh, and just you know it's it's just one of those fortunate things in in life where you get assigned 
id software to be their their producer uh at at activision and um i've been a kind of a lifer since i've i i spent another four years producing uh on on the activision side which is you know i mean it 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 needed very little help, you know. Um, <laughs> it was more really being a liaison between. Uh, the, the, were you working out of L.A. or were you no? Working I was working out of L.A. Out of, so I'd, yeah. I'd travel down to the to the old Borg to Cube, you know, the big black office. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, old office. It's so legendary, yeah. And you know, and it was such a small team. Um, even when I joined in in two thousand, uh, there was only twelve people. So wow. it was really small. Just a great. Um, it, it literally at that point, it, it it felt like being part of a garage band and. And that was, you know, that was even maturing from where they were back in the early '90s when right. they, when when they did the original, people, yeah. yeah. And they're living in an apartment and water skiing during the day, and you know, I mean, like just just tons of great stories and, and really, really good, uh, uh, you know, really good people to be around um, uh, from the beginning. So, yeah, I, I, I got to work on on the early uh, the early mission packs, and then was their producer there on Quake Two, all of the console versions of that, the mission packs, and then. Quake Three, um, which uh, was just like I, I loved that game. That was one of my, you know, one of my favorites. I mean, it was just fantastic. Um, and then they uh, they brought me on in, in early two thousand. So I'm I'm about a month away from my my twenty year anniversary. Wow! Congrats! By the time this airs, yeah, it'll you'll yeah, hit it. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's like just a, a dream. I mean, it's just the the best. That's amazing. Can't imagine anything better. Well, you mentioned a couple things I wanted to circle back on. First, QA. I mean, I, I've I've talked to. You know, I've never been a game developer. I've talked to a million of them over the years. It seems like it is is QA kind of there are a lot of paths into the industry, but QA seems like it's one of the more uh, I don't want to say easier ones, but it, it seems like one of the more popular ones is, is that's a lot of a lot of inroads can be made by starting out in QA. Yeah, it definitely was. It was. I would maybe say it was slightly more true back in the day. Um, you know, that now there's so many good game schools and, and so many different different ways to, to I mean, make your own indie game. I mean, even back then, people were making mods and finding their right. way into the into the industry that way too. But uh, certainly from a from a publishing perspective, I think it's a it's a very good way in. And, and honestly, it just it gives you such a tremendous. Uh, Perspective um, on things and on how the sausage is made. Yeah, really. a- absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it really it, it it kind of makes you think analytically about a game, not just you know like what is happening, why it's happening, as opposed to just like am I having fun. You're really trying to to dissect it and and think you know think the path through. Um, so uh, so I, I got a lot out of it, and and honestly, you know, you tend to. I think it's even a, a little bit of a, a misconception at this point where you you actually need to make a jump out of QA. I mean, I think some of our most, you know, some of our most valuable people in QA, we we think of them just like part of the dev team. I mean, we're lucky yeah. to have them here on site. Yeah. Um, the the QA lead is part of our leads team on the development team, um, on the dev side, and um, the QA team is just is just part of the team. So. Uh, the people who spend more time in QA, they become as valuable as as anybody on the team. So, um, not only is it a great a, a great way to get in the industry, um, it's it's a great place to stay in the industry. Uh, it, I, I can't say enough about uh, about yeah. that team. You also mentioned you mentioned Quake Three, nineteen ninety nine. We just passed the I guess twenty year anniversary of yeah. Quake Three Arena, didn't That's we? Insane. So, <laughs> um, I so I that was that was a big. I was knee deep in that era myself as a as a player as a I guess I was uh, in college at that point was there as much of a a rivalry within like did you guys feel at id 
a rivalry with Epic and Unreal Tournament since they both came out like literally within a month of each other? Was or is that just more of a community fan thing? Um, I know. I think I, I think we felt a ri- I think we generally felt a, a rivalry with with Epic. You know, at that time, I mean, we were both you know pushing technology and 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 definitely had games that, that competed. Uh, you know, from a from a style and gameplay perspective. Uh, but I, I don't know that I don't know I don't ever know that it was it was like I don't remember it ever being something that was like um, really overt or, or or something even internally that was you know it didn't it didn't certainly didn't drive drive us I mean you know right. you kind of had the the Carmack Sweeney uh, back and forth on on technology but uh, um, but everybody was I, I think it was it was that I mean. It, the industry is very much like this, where everybody is very supportive of of the other development teams, yeah. and you know, you, you go to things like GDC and Dice, and people are talking and sharing secrets and and all that kind of stuff. I think I think the industry is generally like competitive, but also like also understands that that you know the good of games in general is is good for gamers, and so I never really it never ever felt unhealthy. Um, it was always just. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a good, a good, healthy rivalry. Yeah. Uh, Hugo, you're I, something interesting. I learned about you, if I have this correct, that your first Doom that you played was Doom sixty four. Yeah, the, the one Nintendo that, 64. I, that yeah. I owned. Yeah, I had played Doom prior to that uh, in the dorms on other people's PCs, but uh, I didn't have a PC uh, at that time. I was a Mac user, and. Um, uh, so uh, when Doom 64 came out, uh, that was the first time I had a chance to dive in for several hours at a time into a Doom game. And what, uh, so I actually, I, I haven't played 64 yet. When you guys re-release it here mm-hmm. coming up, that's going to be my first time checking it out, which I'm eager to see. Because it's, it's held in pretty well high regard amongst the you know, Doom community at large. But you know, I, I, was all, I was actually all PC. I I'd, I'd Hoodwinked my parents into finally getting us our first family PC, largely so that I could play Doom. Thank God, because that, that game was that's like my Desert Island game. But um, so, what, what was it about '64 that that really you know got its hooks into you? Uh, so I think you have to give credit to the original because it invented uh, you know the Doom games. It was the first one, so it, it'll always have a special place as you know, arguably the best Doom game. I genuinely think Doom 64 is my favorite, you know. Um, having played them all, and especially we replay them, all of us, at the beginning of development, always, I think... I'm we, always curious about that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably once... I mean, I'm constantly revisiting all of them, you know, just to spot check and, and play it again, make yeah. sure you, you you keep your finger on the pulse of, of what really makes a good Doom game. Um, so they're all very familiar to everyone on the team. And I just like the the atmosphere of Doom sixty four. I think it's it's a it's a little bit more moody. Obviously, it's a little few years later. They they were able to do a few more things. I think the honestly the the art uh, that went into it is, yeah. is really memorable. The the game constantly feel like uh, feels like it's messing with you, and and that was actually something that we uh, ended up uh, translated really well to Doom Eternal, where walking down a hallway in Doom sixty four. I mean. You never knew what the level was going to throw at you. <clears throat> Probably a little bit more so than the original Doom. And I think that feeling of like just barreling down a hallway without a care in the world versus knowing that the level is keeping me on my toes. <laughs> and and that, that was actually something that we really wanted to get uh, into Doom Eternal. So uh, just a great game uh, overall and uh, really fond memories of playing it uh, in art school 
back in the day. Nice. It was fun. And not going to class. <laughs> Good soundtrack, too. Yeah. Marty, what, uh, what's the first id game you ever played? <laughs> what was, which of their games was first before it you was, joined up? It was Doom. Doom 1. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I didn't play it when it first came out. I was, I was trying to finish. I changed my major in college kind of late and uh, had, to, had to go an extra semester, so I was trying to, trying to get done and, and uh, save, <laughs> not, not, spend so much, uh, not spend so much money. So uh, when I first moved to L.A., uh, a friend of mine uh, had, had Doom and played it at his house, and you know, just just like everybody was just, you, you just you you can't believe you know you like I grew up I, I grew up a lot playing um, uh, arcade games. I mean, like I love yes. uh, you know I'm a kid of the '80s, so um, arcades were the thing, and uh, you just didn't you, you kind of you know you you kind of seen stuff like that, but not not even not even close. You know, like being first person. The, the the way the world felt it was just it was it was magical and and frankly like pretty soon after that I got I got my job at Activision and and the thing was the thing very quickly become became about deathmatch because that was the <laughs> every night you know, measure yourself against absolutely. the competition you know every, every night and and it's it's funny because it, it really hasn't changed much you know every night everybody kind of shuts down and, and fires up uh, fires up deathmatch so Got tried to get good at that quick, um, and uh, you know, and then just again, I, I pretty quickly started working on id games. So, you know, even from the very beginning of like Quake Two, uh, I was I was getting that stuff very very early, well before it came out. So it was it it's just been a blast to see you know how each game is ha, has been made. It's phenomenal. And Doom Eternal's got battle mode, which we're going to be taking a real deep dive into <laughs> this month if we haven't already. I don't know when this is airing, but. Um, uh, do you guys ever at id software do you guys ever fire up either doom one or doom two and just go actually go back and play old deathmatch death we haven't in a yeah, long time in a while I can't, Not a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a long time i can't even think back to to there's probably a little bit of it when I when I first started, but yeah, we should we should do that before I leave to see if I can <laughs> so I can say I lost at at id software. Right. <laughs> once once we hit Quake three and 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 kind of I, I mean Quake Quake and Quake two obviously had had fantastic multiplayer yeah. as well. So it's kind of like I, I think the the flavor du jour of, of multiplayer has always been kind of like the last thing. And and honestly, people people here still play uh, uh, Quake Champions often in, yes. in the evening. Uh, so. I was curious, Marty, when you when you first started at it, it was it was in the '90s, as yeah. you mentioned. That was id Software was still, I think it's fair to say, kind of a, seen as like just this rock star game developer, just just bigger than life. What what was it like coming into that? And did did the did that reputation translate to the studio to, to the actual experience? Um, it it kind of did with with certain people. Um, you know, it was it was it was it was definitely like. I guess within games industry, Rockstar. But um, you know, the one thing that I, I guess the 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 dedication of of the people who who were work that that was that was the thing. You know, he he talks about it with Guillermo or uh, the the teams that, that he worked with at Blur. Um, you you step into it and and you I guess quickly realize uh, it's it's no joke. Like you know, people are brilliant. They're they're like really they're really good and. The success isn't an accident, you know. Yeah. They're the the things that, that it, the things that are happening, and they're maybe perceived externally as rock stars. At the, at the time, it was very funny, you know, way before 
blogs and stuff like that. There was the plan. The plan file. files. The oh, plan I used file. to read those religiously. Absolutely, yeah. I, John Carmax. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, and and so there there I guess there was kind of a, a reputation built uh, through some of that stuff. And you know there was fancy cars and and stuff like that. But but when you really got down to it and and you saw like what was behind it, it it really was just talent and passion and having fun and. Uh, uh, and, and all of that stuff that, that just um, that was the best part that you were you were coming into something that you know people were people were cool like uh, and and just really very very good at what they did. I mean, when you come in, are you? I guess I'll tell you a quick like the first time I got to come to id Software was when I worked for Xbox Magazine. I was doing a, a piece on uh, Return to Castle Wolfenstein yeah. for the original Xbox, uh, which you guys were were overseeing. And I remember getting the studio tour. And walked by a room that was completely dark except just the glow of a monitor and the silhouette of John Carmack sitting there probably coding away. And I remember thinking, you know, having come up loving Doom and Doom 2 and Quake so much where it was just like, wow, there's, there he is. So it, is it intimidating to work with, with a John Carmack even if he's not, like, consciously <laughs> intimidating you? <laughs> is it sort of just like a passive, like, wow, like I've got to step up my game? With a with a with a, a person like this, I, you know, I mean, I think I, it, whether it was John or, or really anybody on the team, you know, you look at uh, at, at guys like Kevin or Adrian or um, you know uh, Paul Steed, like they're, they're, across the board, like you you just because things were so small. Again, it probably is is why Hugo's experience at Blur translates so well to to even here. Like at ID, we've never been ridiculously big you know so everybody everybody is just really good at what they do yeah. and so you you kind of don't want to let anybody down you you know you, you're you're intimidated not so much by the people just by the 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 overwhelming sense of responsibility to to just do great work because yeah. you know doom matters to to people it's the it first does. time they they you know, I mean, you, you hear so many stories. It's like, my dad introduced me to Doom. It means so much to him. Uh, it means so much to me. Or it was my first video game. Or it was how I got into the industry. Or, you know, like, I, so I, I would say just that whole um, that whole experience. So whether it was John or Kevin or Adrian or anything, you know, again, you're, you're around people who are just really good at what they did. And, you, and, it, and it just, I think, it elevated everybody to be the best version of, of themselves. Yeah. Hugo, you overlapped with John a little bit, right, when you first started here? Very little. Very little. So, I mean, I, uh, he, he told me uh, not to put grading on the floor once. Uh, <laughs> that was John's pet peeve. Yeah. He said, don't use grading. I said, okay. And then, he, and then we were about to have a conversation, and he just walked away. And I was like, oh. <laughs> All right, I, I talked to John. <laughs> he so, was ve- he's very nice, by the way. To me. He, yeah, yeah, I've met him once. But, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm curious, sort of tangent, tangenting off of that. Um, you know, you've, you've taken on the mantle here as the director of, of Doom Eternal now after mm-hmm. you, know, you had also had a, a creative director role on Doom 2016, which, which brought Doom back after a long, long hiatus. Do you feel a lot of pressure doing that or apply it to yourself? Because it's, it's a tall order taking over Doom, of all things. I mean, it's, it's really a collaborative process. Like, uh, yeah, there's pressure, but, I mean, we work extremely close. We always have, and uh, along with the rest of the team. So it's, it's not just me doing it by myself. So, so uh, that, that makes it really just a, the pressure. It doesn't feel like pressure. It, it, it's just fun to come to work every day, to be honest, to get to work with everyone. 
uh, on this awesome project that's loved by so many fans. Um, I think that uh, it's motivating. I, you know, the, the people that he's describing and the work that they've done, we're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, you know? Like, so it's a testament to how well the original Doom game was designed, how good those characters are, how good the, the fundamental design of the game is that much of it still translates uh, to today, and a lot of what people are writing about now uh, did actually exist in the original Doom game, like the thought behind the rocket launcher, for example, high risk, high reward, limited resources, how that makes you think, right tool for the job. That was in the original Doom game, you know? So uh, they're making our jobs easier because they did such a great job back then. Also, I think... It's that we have to do the very best we can. So less pressure, more motivating, because their work changed the industry. So we really, really got to bring our A-game to make sure that we uphold the tradition here at it. I I think, uh, while Marty's been here a long time, I think of myself and a lot of the devs as like the next generation of of it employees. And we have to carry on uh, that tradition of of excellence in gaming, of, of, uh, you know, have a have the right amount of passion for our craft and, and, and give it everything we can. Um, and that's, that's all just motivating, you know. But we can't say enough um, that, like, I didn't come here because I wanted to, you know, be the sit on the mountaintop by myself. It's mostly uh, making games as a collaborative process. When I worked in film, it's more about the individual for sure. Uh, I wanted to be a part of a team again because I missed that when I worked on teams in the past, in particular places like Blur and Naughty Dog. Um, because that's really what it is. If you want to make uh, games, you have to like working with people. Yeah. And I really do. I enjoy it so much. I think every day we work so closely, uh, along, you know, the two of us or the leads, and, and you want to make sure that uh, you have a great team in place because great teams make great games. You know, no one individual will by himself carry a game to greatness. I think it's it's a matter of a, a team working really well together. And certainly we have a role to play in that. I tell people all the time, like, the era of the rock star developer is not dead. You can have strong direction and still have ownership and uh, over what it is your task is and kick major fucking ass. And, and we do have rock stars on our team. It's, yeah. it's awesome. While still being a team, you know, so... We're very proud of our culture and overall uh, all of that pressure and stuff. It's just really motivating. Yeah, it's, it's one thing I found interesting after Doom 2016 came out is, you know, the, the to me as a fan, especially with how long it had been and, and Doom 4 was in development for a long time. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But, you know, as a fan, like you sit here and even as someone who covers games, it's I can't help but sort of pessimistically think, wow, it's been a while the odds of this turning out gr- good, let alone great, are are kind of low. But, but you know, you guys really are the this new generation of id software that was by and large raised on and influenced by Doom, rather than the people that made Doom itself. Mm-hmm. And I and it's it's interesting to me how like I, I think this this a big part of the success of Doom twenty sixteen is that uh, it it channels the spirit and, and really maintains the spirit, but while modernizing it and really bringing it 
yeah. in the, in the yeah, you know of modern generation. Which yeah. I, like I don't know how the heck you did that, <laughs> but, it, but it, it worked. Cooking with the same ingredients. Yeah. That I think you know, uh, really, a, a big part of good design doesn't doesn't matter what it is, a car or a movie or anything. You got to evaluate it in the fifty thousand foot view and be able to distill it down to its the core elements that make it great and. That a lot of that stuff's kind of operating on a subconscious level, and I think our job, and the fun part of our job, is to really ask why do they like that. The, the, the science of what makes something appealing is what makes the job of a designer and what I find to be endlessly uh, interesting. It, it's really, yeah. really compelling work. And um, once you can figure that out, like why do people like Star Wars? Why, do they, why does someone look at the new Corvette C8 and just have the reaction, God, that's gorgeous? Like... I can tell you for a fact that the the work that went into that was tremendous. It, in a in a little bit of a way, it's I mean it's a bad word, but it's like manipulating the audience to give you the, to get the, de, the the desired response that you're after. You know, like because most most uh, games or or um, they're like you want people operating from here when they talk about your product. You know, this yeah. is where all the emotion is, and so if you understand what makes something tick. You know, it, it's that. Oh my God, that is that is just awesome. You know, like that means we really got you. You know, uh, what, regardless of whatever it is, and a lot of time was spent uh, working uh, to figure out what is the what are the core elements of the Doom brand, not just Doom the game or one or two or three or sixty four, but the Doom brand as a whole, the metal element, the sense of irreverence, power, all these different things. You know, figuring out what those ingredients are, so that way everything we do. Make sure that it, it utilizes those those core principles, and then the fans will accept it and go along with you. I think when you see brands, you know, and, and they struggle a little bit, like some of the new Star Wars films, a lot of the fans aren't happy. It's because I don't think that they're cooking with the same ingredients, and the and the real fans can pick up on that, and that means they won't go with you on their journey, right. on on the journey that you're trying to take. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Come on. When, uh, when, when, you, are, when you have finished Doom 2016, now you're into Eternal, obviously, that's, that's imminent. But did, uh, do you hear from, I'm just kind of curious, do you hear from a John Carmack or a John Romero or any of the old guard that, that play it and... and you know, have anything to say, good or bad? I'm just sort of curious, or if not too much. Um, uh, I, I just recently, uh, with you know, we we we've recently released the the classic games on the modern platforms, yes. which uh, has gone really great. And one of the things we added was uh, support for some curated mods, uh, and and we brought Sigil, John, you know, John Romero's, and and actually through that process, uh, Kevin Cloud, who's who's been here longer than I have, and you know, kind of. 
uh, a legend at it as well. He's he's been working uh, working to bring those titles uh, and and uh, started an email chain with Romero around Sigil, and that was actually the first time that I had. Uh, ever really even communicated with John and, and he, he did send a nice note like hey you know great job with, with Doom and kind of tech you know wrote him back you know right back at you you know <laughs> good, good job with Doom as well so um, that's that, got to feel good right yeah like, absolutely uh, yeah I mean it's it's uh, I think um, you know as Hugo said it's it's the right ingredients um, we do have we do have something that like when we we do kind of like a new employee orientation as, as often as we can. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I go through in that is, is the, the history of it and the heritage that's there and the titles. I put all the titles up on the screen. Um, and I say, you know, we, we really have great respect for our history, but we have to be forward thinking. Like yeah. we, we cannot live in the past. Totally. Um, and that ha- that's at a, at a management level, at a uh, individual level. Um, you can't, you can't believe that the coattails of Doom or Doom Two or Quake Three or anything in the past that that they're that they're big enough for you know the type of work we need to do. So um, there is you know there's the the distillation of 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 those works you know down to ingredients, um, but uh, but you know like like you said it's it's all about modern modern gamers. It's all about what we're doing next, what's ahead, um, how we can how we can push the team, the the, the technology, the the experience um, to really for, innovate. Yeah, to, to innovate. I mean, we we, we have uh, you know the, the saying "lead, don't follow." Um, if we just relied on history, um, yeah. we we wouldn't we wouldn't be in the position we're in. So it's great to hear from from people, but like I, I don't think uh, you know. Again, great respect, but uh, always. Always very much looking looking ahead. Yeah, we, we can't chase trends, and we certainly can't tra- chase our own trends. Yeah, you know that, yeah. that, that that's a bad. death sentence, right? I mean, you have to yeah. you have to become the trend. You f- you make the trend, right? Isn't that yeah. the key to or a key to a successful game? Yeah. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. It's certainly the fun part. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, you can you can chase trends and 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 probably you know find find a find a space, but uh, I just don't think that's ever been. What, what we do here. Uh, it's, it's never been what we do since I've worked here. Well, an, an interesting example is, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, the, the Doom 4 that was in development, that ultimately, that, that was, um, that's, you guys have told that story so, sort of briefly. I mean, it was, I don't know if it's fair to say, it was, it was a little sort of Call of Duty-ish in this sort of single-player cinematic yeah. kind of, mo- you know, non-player controlled moments. And uh, what, you know, did, did you kind of know that that wasn't the right fit the whole time or is it just sort of a process where you're just trying to like maybe there is something in there and you're trying to find it and then eventually you decide it's not there it was more that i you know i think you uh you never <laughs> you, you you generally try not to 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 work on something very long that you feel like is not going to work um so uh yeah i think i think it was it was more of that you know Thinking about modern players and, and how do you how do you bring Doom to them, um, and it was certainly uh, it was it was more of it was it was it wasn't take those ingredients that Hugo just just talked about. Um, it wasn't taking enough of those. It was taking demons um, and uh, you know uh, a, a bit of hell on earth, but uh, but that that was kind of where it ended. It like from a from a feel how how yeah. it made you feel. Um, the heart, the heart part that he talks about. Um, I think that was the thing that was was 
it just wasn't quite in place. And and the the thing is, is like it was it was still good. Like it was a good game. Um, there were you know it was it was still you know, a, a ways away from from launching, so it had it had a ways to go. But uh, um, but it it uh, yeah w- when you kind of stepped back and and you know we. We were we were multiple teams at the time, and, and then kind of regrouped around like okay, what we, a lot of people were working on Rage, um, then we kind of like refocused attention around this, and and it just yeah, it just kind of lacked some of those fundamental Doom things. It was more Doom in name than than really anything, right. um, and that was that was a, it's it's a hard decision, you know. It's a to to a lot of people spend a lot of time on that, and and again, it wasn't it wasn't that it was bad. It was just not the right thing. Um, uh, and uh, it was it was awesome that uh, Bethesda supported us in in making that that shift because that it was a it was a big shift. Yeah, um, I'm kind of curious. Like, uh, I just looking at it, I don't I don't know anything. That's why I'm going to ask you now. No, please. <laughs> Is, uh, you know, because I was looking at this between the time Doom Three shipped in 2004, uh, and so between then and Doom 2016, it was during that time bought by Zenimax yep. by Bethesda. And only shipped one game in those 12 years, and yeah. that was Rage 1. You had John Carmack left uh, during that time. You had the, the Doom 4 project that, that wasn't quite working. I'm just curious, was there any worry at, in that point that Bethesda might come in and just close the studio and take the IPs? And Was there ever sort of any fear of that? Um, not... I, I, I would say I probably felt that a little bit right Right before we rebooted Doom twenty, what became Doom twenty sixteen yeah. in the twenty twelve twenty thirteen, certainly through no pressure of Bethesda whatsoever. I I, I I've said this, I, I mean every interview, every opportunity since, uh, you know, since that time that I can't I can't imagine a, a more supportive team than the Bethesda management team, um, uh, all, all the way to 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 Mr. Altman, um, like it, it literally. Uh, that was more the pressure that I was putting on. Like mm-hmm. I, I was looking at you know at us and and like man, we really really we're we've gone a while. Uh, we just rebooted this game, um, and it was more as we started uh, Doom twenty sixteen um, to be like this. This has got to be something really special. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it was it was never a pressure. An external pressure was always more of an internal pressure. Um, externally, we really got nothing but support. I mean, we needed to grow the team. Um, we needed to kind of adjust the the culture of the studio a bit. Um, you know, we we were bringing in people like Hugo and and uh, you know uh, Tiago, who's our rendering lead. Um, and and that takes that takes a lot of a lot of work and and a lot of support. And uh, we got it like every step of the way, we we got it. So it was it was always I, I was I would say I was mostly self imposed pressure than any type of external pressure. Yeah. And even just my own, you know, or or anybody here, I think you know you you work at ID, you love working at ID. It means something. Like it means something to release games that matter to people. And uh, when you feel like you're not doing that. You're like, man, we gotta, we gotta turn this up and and uh, and and do something special. Was was Rage One a tough one? Because that was at that point, I think that was seven seven years from the time. I think total development. That was the longest it had ever taken. 
on a game before. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I, I actually didn't spend quite as much time on Rage. Uh, I was. I was actually at that time uh, had started the Quake Live project, um, and we had launched that, and we're we're operating that game, uh, which was a lot of fun because I, I really again Quake Through is one of my favorite games. So. Um, that was that was really fun. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of technical development during during Rage, um, and again, we were we were starting to, to kind of branch into multiple projects at that time. So um, it was uh, I mean it was a big project. It was very ambitious and and uh, and still a pretty small team. So um, but uh, but a really you know really good game. I think everybody was very proud of it when it came out. Really pushed um, pushed in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, after, after we finished that, then kind of a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of different eyes on, on, on stuff, uh, internally. And that's where we really decided to, to kind of refocus, get everybody together and, and, and just make doom. Hugo, you had, you've said in previous interviews that, uh, you had, you had bounced around doing, uh, doing just contract work for a long time yeah, yeah. before you landed here. So. When you get here, full-time gig, do, do you feel like you're just at home right away, or is it kind of a new kid in school for a while? Um, I actually had some friends from Blur who had worked here. I was doing work in films and had my own thing going on uh, back and forth, yeah, with, with like, commercials and, and games and, and different things. Um, like I said, I was kind of working alone, and uh, it I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I really missed working with people, you know? Yeah. Um, so when I came in, I had some of my friends uh, who were already there, and once word was came out that they were going to reboot, I got the inside scoop, and my friends were like, "You should totally, like, you know, swing by." Um, and I really also wanted to find a place to settle down with my wife and and and, and uh, my family. Um, so I have I have three kids. Uh, so it was it was pretty easy. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Uh, Honestly, I, I I met Marty first and and um, done a little bit of contract work. Yeah, I had done a little bit of contract work, and I really hit it off with Marty. I think we had really similar, without even uh, just right off the bat, very similar views on what it takes to make a successful uh, product, and so we hit it off uh, right off the bat. Um, and and I I do think that that role uh, that Marty plays is so critical to the success of a project, you know. And then that relationship between you know, a director and an executive producer, like, without fail, if that's not a good relationship, that means you're off to a really bad start. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just thought that he was a person of integrity and someone that I could work with, and we just really jived really well. And then I knew some of the people uh, who worked here, so so we were hitting it off uh, pretty good there. As Marty said, there was, there was a lot of... Um, we had a lot going on at that time. I mean, we were building up the team. We were revamping this, doing all these different things. So uh, it was it was very much like building the race car as we were racing it down the track, <laughs> you know. But it's, a, it's again, a testament to uh, the team and how we worked together as a whole that we were able to pull it off. And what was nice about Doom Eternal was that uh, we were really able to hit the ground running. And I yes. think that you can feel it, you know. We were doing more work at a higher level, at a faster pace from the very beginning. So we were able to pack a 22-hour experience into the game. You know, we, we have 34-plus demons in the game. I mean, it's just... And that's not necessarily mean that the game is overwhelming. It just means that we're able to make sure that every bit of this experience, from the beginning to the middle to the end of this single-player campaign and into battle mode, 
is is compelling and engaging that you never really feel like you're starting to see the same old thing again. Yeah. And that's that, that's been awesome to be able to give that to the fans this time is just great. When he, when he started though, like I, I give him a little more credit than he'll give himself. He he, he was the new kid for about a day, and <laughs> and honestly, like uh, I think when he when you talk about his he talks about his background and and the the design uh, the design school and and learning the fundamentals and understanding it on film and games and his time at Naughty Dog and Blur and all that kind of stuff. One of the things he brought that that I really had had that I was that I thought was the the best part and I was most excited when when we had talked uh, prior to him him starting was his ability to teach and to 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 talk about the why of something. Like so many times, I think in in development, you get a director or or uh, you know a, a a creative who who just is just searching, you know, and and doesn't know until maybe they see it, and it's yeah. hard for them to explain. Um, I think one of the things that he did really effectively when he started was was really talk about the why, why of visual design, the why of mechanical design, or, or you know, and and that's I think that's continued to be one of the team's strengths is is having that. Um, that level of education and understanding that, that honestly we had I don't think we'd had before and um, and really like it was it was hard to question you know it was, it was just very sound and, and fun because if you if you learn the that was the coolest thing about um, studying automotive design is is coming from uh, Pratt which is much more I was, did illustration and advertising at Pratt it is more of a mystery How, like why is that great and this isn't how come more people buy this product and and not so many people buy that and it was just this intangible mysterious thing yeah. and then i went to art center and the you know the head of bmw was just be like this is why people like this shape because it's wired in our brain that we like these kinds of shapes and this is why this car sells well and there's they they've really weeded out the mystery and and the fine arty fartsy part of design because making a car is like a billion dollar more than that many billions probably uh invest investment so we cannot leave any room for error here and it has to be predictable and i found that to be like amazing like i just felt like i was being shown behind the curtain this whole world of design and then the instant i i immediately thought like this applies to everything, you know, and you really start to like, and it does, like, and then you want to share it because the coolest thing is, I don't care that he can't draw. Like, I could tell See, him, I can't draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could tell him or anybody, like, hey, let's this. This is why that works, and it's kind of like giving someone a tool. Prior to going to Art Center, it felt like I was digging for gold. As an artist, you're always digging for gold, no matter what you're doing. You know, if you're if you're writing a script or you're making a game or you're drawing something or designing a car, you're digging for gold. You're going to go through those sketches, those iterations, those prototypes, and eventually you hit pay dirt and you hit something. Prior to getting some kind of formal education in design, it felt like I was digging with like one of those little garden fucking spatula <laughs> things, you know, like this tiny, like a tooth, uh, a spoon. The proverbial then, teaching a man to fish. Yeah, totally. And then it went from after getting trained in design, it was like... I, I have a fucking bulldozer now, you know, like, like, and watch, I'll show you how to operate this thing. Like, you could do it too. And yeah. that was the most fun part of, of the process. And still, again, to this day, uh, having those type of conversations, and we love doing that because it's addictive. It's, it's very, very fun. Yeah. Um, and everybody does it, you know, like, and, any, and anybody can do it. You know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I think that's the coolest part. So sharing that with everyone and, and that being a big part of uh, what we do here. We start with the why. 
and you got to understand the why. Uh, really, because everything has it, you know. And even if the creator doesn't realize, a lot of people sometimes they'll get there through. Um, uh, they just kind of stumble on it, but mm-hmm. they don't really even know why what they made connected with someone. So then you'll notice that reproducing that success becomes very challenging. But the great designers can understand why people like their product, and then they can reproduce it. So it's a it's a big part of uh, what Corporate, we do here. Yeah. So on that exact topic, you know, you talk about the Doom Four project where you you couldn't quite find the 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 right way forward for Doom with it, but with Doom twenty sixteen. Do you you know do you know pretty quickly that you're you are on the right path or or is it even is it somewhere during development or is it not even until it gets into the public and people are really enjoying it what where in that timeline do you kind of feel like we we're, we did this we got it it's gradual i think you yeah. know you you kind of know very high level chunks like early on like for us you know, when we when we rebooted, it was uh, you know uh, movement. You know, like you, yeah. you know, you, you look at Doom and you say one of those ingredients is movement, and, Move and movement is key, and movement, yeah. fast movement, and not taking cover, and not reloading guns, and like those are really really big things that you can yeah. kind of hold on to and and um, and you know make as keywords or filters or however you know we we do it all different ways. Um, I think as you get into development, as we got into development, uh, the the questions and answers get far more granular, um, and that was that was through a lot of uh, a lot of development of 2016 was just answering, is that doom? Is that doom? Is that doom? Way way lower, you know, detail than you know, do you reload your guns? You know, uh, yeah. that that kind of thing. So, um, you know, when we were that that three year process was was just question after question after question after question after question um, to really establish that foundation. And I think then when it launches, you're, you're kind of like, okay, that, that foundation is relatively sound, not, not too many cracks in it, um, maybe a few, and, and you, know, you, you, try to, you try to fix those or address those as you go forward. Um, but I think that's, that's kind of the, at a very high level, that's, that's kind of the process. And then as we, as we now get to do Doom Eternal, um, you have that foundation. You don't have to answer so many of those uh, those small questions. You can you can be much uh, much more ambitious, and the questions the questions change. But you know you have that that great foundation laid. And and knowing the why is important, and yeah. asking those questions. But then having there's another whole component, um, and it's where kind of the sports analogies come in, which we both love, uh, because you have to have then that's where the teamwork comes into yeah. play. Because we could know. Okay, this is working. You know that feel that action of the player. We, we at, at ID, we've got amazing people who do amazing work, and they make these amazing individual pieces. You, you know, they make a shotgun. It feels great. Sounds, you know, sound guy puts sound on it. It feels great. So pulling this trigger feels awesome. But then it's it's a matter of uh, through teamwork and having the kind of synergy we need, pulling all those elements together. So every component of the game is connected to each other. Yeah. So you don't have a game that feels like it's a few really good ideas that never quite gel into one experience. And we've all played those games. We're like, this part of the game is great, and that part of the game is cool. Sure. But it didn't really all come together. And the very best games, all of the components of the game are kind of seamless. The tone of the narrative, the progression systems, the abilities of the player the world itself, the style of the level design, the lighting, the music, all of that feels like it's 
it's following uh, the same script. And I think that's that's why Doom 2016 was really successful. Like we we didn't just do one cool feature then stop. We constantly like looked to combine things so that way it was just as tight as possible. As we often say, like art, design, technology coming together to make a really tight experience. And that means, you know, a lot of really talented people taking the individual amazing work that they do and working together. Uh, to create a, a, a kind of singular experience. Yeah, really being selfless in, in putting the product ahead of, of yeah. any individual piece of it, but still having such a passion for making that individual piece so amazing. And, and when we have a plan for something, too, that selflessness comes into, like, and uh, respecting the plan, like, you know, knowing that, like, this concept of this character which was designed by this thing doesn't need to be modeled that way because later on in the game we're going to shoot that thing off and then this gun must work this way so it you need a lot of buy-in yeah. and that's where the sports analogies honestly come into play because I've heard it, a lot of those during my trip well yeah. because <laughs> really guys do key. love them when, yeah. you, when you think about it when they do those slow-mo top-down aerial views of uh, some team, you know, ripping off a forty-yard a forty-yard run or a great pass or something, and they show you how all the different players had to do the right thing at the right time, do their job to create the opportunity for the quarterback because this guy did this thing and he hit that block. That is like a lot of stuff happening, uh, you know, in concert with one another uh, to be able to pull off that touchdown. That's that needs to happen on a daily basis during development. And that's why it's like, it's, we can't say it enough, it's all about the teamwork. Yeah, you know? it really is. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you, you sort of preemptively answered another question. Uh, based on what I've played of Doom Eternal so far, which is about the first three-plus hours, like it really strikes me as a, a, a very confident game, a game that knows what it is, and, and that sort of sounds like it took the, the, the three years of answering questions yeah of what Doom is on 2016 allowed you to kind of get to that place where you're hitting the ground running and doing... And, and building know. that team. I mean, like, we've had yeah. we've had such little turnover since... Uh, in, in fact, we've just grown the team on the, the foundation that we built during 2016. So when you have people... It, it was always a goal going into 2016 that, that, um, that not only did we build a great game, but we built a really sound team and a really sound culture yeah. uh, at the studio because... The, the holy grail is being able to do things over and over, you know, to, to be able to take um, whatever idea, whatever concepts, and, and make them great. Uh, and, and really, like, you can only do that with, with people. So um, at the same time, we wanted to make Doom 2016 amazing, and we were all in, and, like, you know, there was those kind of that self-imposed pressure um, around the studio and everything. It was, it was also, like... This game, it, it can't be. This game is great. Sacrifice everything in the process. It has to be. This game is great, and the team is great because we want to do it again, and we want to be able to 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 do it even better. That's the, I think that's where you see that confidence is. You're seeing the confidence of leads who have been through the process once, people who've worked in the trenches together, um, and and that is that that is far more powerful than than anything. Was it, there a, was there a culture shift, like a tangible culture shift here at all? When, but, in that sort of time when you're, you, you unify the teams into one team and you start to answer those questions and figure out what Doom is? Or was, was, was it, did you kind of detect that he, around here? Or? I think so. I mean, it was, it was definitely, uh, um, you know, we, we, had, we had gone from, I, I would say, very 
you know, back back in the day, the id kind of persona was about individuals. It was also about id and, and, and all of that. But the individuals were, were very big personalities. Um, and, uh, and, and there was an aspect of, like, you know, these games, <laughs> they're so complex. They're, they're really, they're, they're so complex. I, I think it's probably one of the most complicated forms of entertainment to make. No doubt. Um, because of what he said, you know, technology, art, uh, design, a- animation, it, it all, it, to make it work, it all has to be, like, seamless. It, it, like, all yeah. of those things have to be, uh, like, right on top of each other. And that means that people have to work together at a, a totally different level. And they have to, you know, they have to, the, the buy-in on it is, is critical. Um, and so that, that always takes, when you're, when you're growing the team, um, and you have this combination of like you know you still need rock stars, still need people that are unbelievable at what they do, but the the product uh, and the team is the most important thing. You're you're always going to have a, a bit of uh, a bit of adjustment of, of culture as you go through that. Two prong question. First part: uh, Why do you guys think any idea why there seem to be so few uh, first person shooters that really? Give a lot of a big meaty focused single player campaign nowadays. I don't know, but I, I'm glad they don't. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. I, I think that um, yeah, I couldn't say. I think that a lot of the the type of engagement that we are able to create, uh, you know, in Doom Eternal is is and in, in the way that it makes you feel. There's a competitive uh, aspect to it. It's definitely PVE. There's a great emphasis on that. But and and um, it's something that you normally would find, a, you know, in uh, in PvP. You know, yeah. so it feels like PvP but with AI. And so that's why I think there's a large audience of uh, com- like multiplayer. Uh, the, the multiplayer audience, the PvP, the competitive PvP people, will enjoy Doom Eternal. You know, because it, it's that same kind of fast-paced competitive experience that they get out of those games they're going to find it in our single player uh, campaign why more people don't do that i i don't know uh ultimately it's a good example of when we we mean it when we say it like uh don't you know lead don't follow don't trace chase trends when when it comes to making art of any kind there is the bold and there is the forgotten like playing it safe and and saying well nobody else is making this should we like who cares? You know, seriously, uh, that that is not even like that shouldn't even be uh, a discussion because nobody ever says uh, after they've played or watched something to the creator and say, you know, I'm I'm really glad you you kind of just did what everybody else is doing. I'm, I really appreciate that you were super conservative and didn't take a chance. I like that. I like that a lot. Like that that is never said by anyone. You know, um, so it's just important that we just do what we think. Uh, is going to be fun and compelling. Probably the the identity, uh, the t- the type of team we have, uh, and the people that we have. You know, myself, Marty, uh, everyone um, dictates a little bit of you know the type of games that we make. I, I would assume. You know what I mean? It's like you 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 build the scheme and football around the players that you have. Right. You're not you're not making an MMORPG here. That's not the the talent you've assembled, right? Yeah. That's not their forte. So, but overall, again, uh, we're just making the type of game that, that we would like to play and... And, um, and that we think will be appealing. I mean, I, yeah. I think Doom in and of itself and is appealing, but, you know, like, we, we could 
make some crazy art piece uh, nobody's interested in, in that nobody's interested in buying and then that that won't work either yeah. you know just just because we believe it like there's a there's a lot of work done to to really analyze are those ingredients that you know that, that, that everything's been distilled down to um, are are those are those enough to, to, to warrant the, the type of investment that goes into oh, yeah. making a game. You know, it's not... You, you could get down to really good ingredients that appeal to a tenth of, of the players that we want to reach, yeah. and that could be a an amazing experience that we really like, you know, we would love to make, but, uh, you know, the bottom line is we, we've got to... <laughs> we've got to we've got to make commercial entertainment, right. and uh, uh, luckily, that's one of the great things about Doom is is when you take those ingredients and you and you boil them down, you look at that and you're like that that that's fun. That's that's a that's a feeling that you know empowerment and uh, you know uh, just being unleashed. Like people like that. Like that's but, that's a very relatable thing. That's actually the most uh, compelling part of of. The, the whole like finding the why of things is especially as you said as in commercial art uh, you know a car manufacturer is definitely not sitting there thinking like well pe- a certain group of people like this so we're good no it is finding the thing that has the broadest appeal and that is actually the most challenging thing to do yeah. I could take anything you could make anything and you're going to find people who love it like that it, it's it's a matter of like how do I make the Apple product that appeals to everyone? That is the genius of, of Apple, is that they made a home computer in the 90s or, that was for everyone, you know, yeah. uh, not just people who were really into home computers. Uh, that, that's not easy to do, but that is, that is literally why a designer gets up in the morning. It's like, yeah, I don't want to make uh, art for, for a niche audience. I want to make something that appeals to... Uh, our target audience, you know, to, to meet our expectations. And the more people that respond positively to what you made, um, that's just extremely satisfying and, and, and not easy uh, to do. Well, the flip side, so the, the other side of, of my question is, is it, you know, Doom in 1993 introduces the word deathmatch into the, into the gaming lexicon. It also introduced the term Doom clone because there were a lot of followers that came uh, in the wake of Doom. So is it, for you guys, is it more flattering that seemingly really no one has has kind of followed you? I, I haven't really seen a triple A, a AAA, you know, game, that first-person shooter that's tried to do the kind of stuff that Doom did in 2016 and Eternal's building off of. So is it more flattering that that no one's tried, or or would it be more flattering? Or more if concerning. You, yeah, or more, <laughs> I'm not sure there. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like like Hugo said, it, it's uh, it's hard to get in the minds of, of other uh, other teams or other publishers. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we found a formula that I think works. I, I think that's probably yeah. it. Yeah. And and knowing that um, knowing that we can stick to it and that it, that it is so unique. I mean, I, I think you know we we say it often that you know it's we want people to look at a you know look at a screen, um, whether it's this, happens to have the logo uh, behind us, but, uh, you know, look at, look at a game screen and, or a gameplay and just know that, it's, that it's, a, it's a Doom game in this case or that it's an id game um, because it, it, it's unique. And that's, you know, whether it's the demons or the, the slayer or the weapons, the chainsaw, you know, there's so many elements of Doom that just 
it'd be tough for another game to kind of get specifically in its lane, even even if somebody did do a shooter, yeah. um, you know, a first-person well, shooter. I don't think they want to trend chase, you know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. I, I, I don't think we're the only group of developers and designers who understand that you have to be bold and you have to have to present uh, players with new experiences because if you're just kind of doing the same old, then there's that familiarity and, and you're not going to have the kind of excitement uh, necessary to achieve, uh, you know, meet your sales expectations. So probably they're just thinking the same thing we are. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, that, like, we got to do what's best for us and go find the new uh, formula that, that attracts an audience and has people uh, excited. Well, a couple more questions before I let you go here. Um, you know, we're talking all about Doom and finding finding the exact sort of formula for Doom, but i got to ask while I'm sitting here at id Software with, with Hugo and Marty, the two of the top dogs of the studio, uh, are, there, are you guys tossing around any ideas for, for rebooting Quake? I mean, it, you know, Quake's been, okay, there's Quake Live, but it's, Quake's been a little quiet for a while, and you know, I wonder if, if that gets tossed around at all. Like, hmm, how could we, how could we rethink this for, for the you know, new decade, for so, the 2020s? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it it it, it would be interesting. We're, we've been so like, I mean, I can't tell you how like it takes so much work and so much effort to 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 make sure that we we haven't. We say, I say this in team meetings all the time. Keep your eye on the ball. You know, using the sports analogy. Uh, so we we really really try to to not get distracted by anything. Um, the uh, you know we've we've had Quake Champions out for a while. It's a really really good online uh, online game. If you like Quake Three or Quake Live, Quake Champions is is fantastic. Uh, adds adds some new elements to it. Um, so that that's kind of been our our Quake game for a while. But uh, the the kind of the the development team here, it's just been all doom for the last you know seven years or so. And uh, and and honestly, as we look look ahead uh, even to the next year or two, uh, we've got so much that we still want to do uh, to support Doom Eternal. We're going to be doing one of the things we didn't do in 2016 was release DLC. We're going to be doing DLC. We're going to be doing free updates that give players uh, master levels, like new ways to play the game on on uh, uh, with with kind of a combat remix that's really fun. Um, tons of stuff to support battle mode and and really drive that. So we've got. I, I mean, we just literally yesterday in a meeting went through our our plans for the next year, and it is ridiculous. Like it's 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 so much stuff that uh, I think people are already starting to be like. Oh, Oh, can we like take that thing off? Or so we, we're we're kind of uh, neck deep in it already. And and uh, as far as anything next, we'll we'll kind of start start that process over the next couple of years, probably. So uh, f- finally, here. Uh, well, first, I want to take a moment to recognize the awesomeness of Hugo's shirt. Yes, uh, if you can. If we can get, if you can show that clearly, <laughs> that is real good. That is uh, that is a, a sure army of darkness student crossover. It is, this somebody cool. might get sued. Somebody yes. might, but it's <laughs> cool enough that probably not. So this is a good example of something that is appealing. <laughs> there you go. And second, uh, are are you guys each? Super cool dads to because <laughs> your kids get to say, yeah, my dad makes no, doom. I'm, I'm not. No, no, my kids they're not <laughs> impressed at all. <laughs> like, I don't know, a little bit. Not, not really. I ask them all the time. I literally told my son the other day, I'm like, hey, you want to play Doom Eternal? I have it on my laptop. He's like, no. <laughs> I'm just no. like, okay. Uh, granted, he's nine, but no, I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely not as cool as I thought I would be. <laughs> Someday. My kids are a little older than his kids, so like they're in 
my oldest is in college and my my uh, daughters are in high school ish uh, middle school um, so they're friends uh, neither of them are particularly gamers you know or any of them uh, their friends think it's pretty cool like they'll they'll you know they'll come by the house and see like a a little, you know, Doom guy statue, you know, yeah. on a shelf or something like that, and and uh, and think it's neat. But uh, you know, and then and then they want to talk. They they always want to talk games, which is which is always fun. It's 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 really fun to to you know sit and talk to somebody about what they're playing, why they like it. Because I'm old now, so yeah. it's, it's fun to hear an 18 or 20 year old uh, talk about uh, talk about what they love, and and even you know when they when they do play the game to to really dive into. What they like, what they don't like, and, and that kind of stuff. I took them to QuakeCon, and they, you know, they, yeah. our, our family sat together, and afterwards we were up on stage, and I brought them up on stage, and I was, you know, at the, at the end after everybody left, and so what'd you think? I was so excited, and the first <laughs> thing my daughter's like, I'm like, did you see Daddy on stage? Wasn't that cool? She's like, can we get ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the water park. Yeah, that, that was, like, okay, let's go. <laughs> well, that's uh, someday you're gonna you're gonna be hero dad. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll do them someday. Yeah. But. When they get older, they they, um, they come around. Hugo, Marty, thank you guys so much. Uh, Doom Eternal is out March 20th. Super stoked for it. Uh, We're covering it all month long here as part of IGN First. If you've missed any of our coverage, be sure to check in uh, on the the site, on our YouTube channel. We're doing a lot. So uh, it's been really fun. Thank you guys so much for having us here at the studio. We super appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, for more from the best brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry, stay tuned every month for a new episode of IGN Unfiltered. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.